Welcome to No Challenges in Raining. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Ben. And we are also joined by our friend Blair Henley, who we have not had on the official NCR show before. Blair was with us uh, when we did our Codenames game for Patreon and was a stellar player with stellar props. So props <laughs> on the props once more. But Blair, thank you for being on here. You've been someone on our wish list for NCR for a long time, so I'm glad you are with us finally. Well, thanks, guys. I, this is like long-time listener, first-time caller ter- territory. I'm very, very happy to be here. I'm actually quite shocked that we've never had you on the show. So, it, um, yeah, it didn't even occur to me that this was your first go-round. It was Obviously. a glaring omission. Glaring yes. omission. We, we tried at Indian Wells. That's right. That's right. We did try in Indian Wells. So. And then yeah. Indian Wells was no more. So no. here we are. Well, there you are. We're in three different places. I'm in home in D.C., Courtney's home in California, but you are in the bubble in New York. And so we're going to get to that a bit uh, in the second half of the show, I think, pretty much. But first, I want to start off people who I feel like everyone knows you, but to get a more formal introduction to Blair Henley, the 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 legend and hero that we all cherish. So uh, if you can just tell us your your hero origin story a bit, how how you started working your relationship with tennis first and then how you started working in tennis. It's an indirect origin story if I had to classify it. I I did though, I mean, I grew up in tennis. My dad's a tennis pro. So from, I mean, as long ago as I can remember, I was hanging out at the tennis courts. I was on the court as much as possible. I started stringing rackets when I was like 13. I started teaching little kids when I was maybe 14, probably even younger than that. Uh, So I I grew up in the tennis world. I've always loved it. Went to play tennis in college at Rice University. And really at the end of that, I feel like I sort of had a maybe a myopic view. I, I always just wanted to be the best at school and I wanted to be the best tennis player I could be. And then I was done with school and tennis and then was like, now what do I do? And so I taught tennis for a little bit of time. And then I got a job working with like a tennis club startup in Houston, Texas and worked there, got some interesting business experience. I mean, and I was an economics major, so it's not like I I have journalist background, Uh, but I always loved writing. I always loved, you know, doing anything on camera. I was in every play I could be in when I was a kid. Like I love that sort of thing. And uh, so got married when I was about 25 and my husband was playing minor league baseball at the time. And I went with him. There wasn't a lot that I could do in terms of normal jobs. So I taught tennis in just about every city that we stopped in. Female tennis pros are a, are at a premium. They're, they're harder to find. And so I could just walk into a tennis club. It was the greatest thing. They didn't even ask my <laughs> resume. They're, I was like, hey, I'm here for, you know, I don't know how long do you need a pro? And they were like, you're hired. So that it was so awesome to have, have that job and be able to do that uh, for myself wherever we were. I think we moved like 16 times in three wow. years. So it was an it adventure. does sound like the minor leagues, yeah. <laughs> it's the minor leagues. It was also like a, a delightfully simple time in life. Like all our belongings fit in the car, which was, which was kind of freeing in a weird way. Uh, but it was during that time that I thought, hey, if I wanted to, to start writing, this might be the time to do it. So I, I actually started writing for Randy Walker, who 
worked at the USDA for a yeah. long time and, and started worldtennismagazine.com. Had a chance to start writing for him. And so I think it was in, we were in Memphis at the time and I would just go sit at the Panera Bread all day. And I was mostly writing like results stories, uh, but that was where I sort of started developing my, the writing style and, and sort of learning and getting better in that department. Covered my first tournament officially for Randy in 2011 at the Delray Beach Open. So great memories in Delray Beach. <laughs> it's been a long relationship with that tournament. <laughs> Originally from South Florida, so, so that was always sort of the home tournament. It's a very started from the bottom, now we hear kind of event for you. Very, very much so. Uh, and then I eventually started working after uh, Tyler, my husband, was done with baseball. We moved back to Houston for him to finish school. And I started working for uh, Tennis Now, which is yeah. a tennis website that some of our friends we know and love uh, still work for. And it was there that I got to do on-camera work for the very first time. And please don't search the internet for those first. Those were great. Those were the first place I saw you was on those YouTube yeah. videos. You're yeah. an absolute well, star. That's where I first saw you as well. And I was like, where did this girl come from? And how do we hire her? This is amazing. At the end, I feel like it, it became really fun. I had a relationship, I felt like, with the people who watched um, the shows. I tried to make fun, but also informative. I also did some instruction videos that I didn't think anyone was going to watch. They remain the thing that I'm approached for the most to this hmm. day, uh, which is neat. I mean, when a, a parent comes up with their child and says, you know, oh, we love, you know, I helped my daughter learn how to play because of your videos. Like that is so incredibly rewarding. Uh, but that's where I started doing on-camera work. And thanks to our friend, another friend we all know and love, Nick McCarvel, who I had gotten to know through my work at Tennis Now, he recommended me in 2015 when he could no longer be the MC on Court 17 at the US Open. And my boss, still my boss to this day, Michael Fuhr, took a chance on me or was really desperate to, I'm not totally sure. Um, Can be both. And, and the rest of history. I, yeah, I, 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 it's funny because I started at the U S open. It was much easier to get jobs after that because they were like, Oh, well, she's done the U S open, even though I will be the first to tell you, I had no clue what I was doing when I was starting. I mean, I was the DJ, I was the stage manager, you know, I was the one in charge of like blocking the door uh, so that the players didn't go rogue and walk straight out. <laughs> but there was no better way to learn. The fact yeah. that I was doing all that, like I'll never forget the first time I started the music before the chair umpire called the score and got yelled at by Fergus Murphy, who I, I now, again, know and love. Uh, but please do not start the music until I finish calling the score. He's You're like, nobody oh. in tennis until you've been yelled at by Fergus Murphy. Let's be real. <laughs> exactly. Only legends. And, Only and legends. He is, he is fabulous and, and the best. Um, I, I relish introducing him now. But yeah, that was that was how it all started. So... This this is where I think most people know you for probably in tennis is for your on court interview work for being a sort of court MC. I don't know what the official title on court host. What is the is that the title you use probably? Yeah, yeah, either one. So what when you first were getting into that, what did you think that you needed to do to get to be good at that job? What did that job sort of require in your mind, and how did the expectations meet the reality once you were on the ground and having to to run that show and talk to those players and and make make entertainment for folks? I wanted to be creative, first of all, and I think that took research. Uh, I really did try, you know, I, I look at the players' social medias. I tried to maybe find some random article that was written about them 
three years ago, you never know what you find and what you're going to find until you start looking. So I really did make an effort to be creative. And I, I feel like I still do. Also, when there are fans in the stands, you want to appeal to the fans. That's been one, and we can talk about this later, when there are no fans, it does sort mm. of change how you approach the post-match interview because you're not playing to the crowd anymore. Um, so yes, you want to appeal to the fans. And I think my goal was always, you want to get the nuggets about the actual match. You know, that's interesting to me. I, I obviously love the technical side of tennis, but I think most fans may not care as much why somebody hit a down the line, you know, forehand at two all 40 love in the second set. I, I yeah. think that's less interesting to the masses. And my goal, I feel like has always been and still is to sort of maybe expand the tennis fan base. I love it when something happens in tennis that is maybe seen by people who aren't like us, who are not in it every day. And so whether I, I'm in the stadium or whether I'm doing stuff um, you know, digitally host, hosting for social media, I feel like that's always sort of the goal is to have the balance between the serious, the technical side. I love the mental side of tennis as well, but to also humanize a little because I really do think that is why people become fans for life. It's, it's not necessarily like, obviously we can all agree that Roger Federer's tennis is beautiful to watch, but it's... <laughs> Thumbs <laughs> down from Courtney for those of you listening on audio, but yes. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we can all, we can all, most of us can agree on that. But I, I think so often it's, you know, that one random answer you heard on, on court 17 at the U.S. Open when, you know, Tomas Burdich, for instance, called someone out for calling out his outfit in a post-match interview. Like that's the random stuff that, that happens that I think really does make fans for life because they happen to see that one funny or cool or relatable moment. And it's, yeah, such a, it, it's such an interesting contrast, don't you think, like in tennis, because that is the thing. It is the humanization of the player that draws people in, you know, I mean, we're all fans of team sports and regular sports that, that you know, dominate the states, the big five or whatever it is. And that's team, you know, that's handed down to you. And it's a different type of love, you know, like it's a love that's it's familial, it's passed down, it's tradition, all these sorts tribal. of things. It's tribal. But but tennis fandom is a completely different thing. What draws people into the sport, it can't be team-based because your team only exists for 10 years, you know, 15 years, and then your team's gone, you know, and, um, and it becomes in there's, yeah, it's, um, it's a weird thing to be in the business of which I'm in the same business in this way as, as Blair, which is selling the sport, selling the players, selling the personalities. And it's like a, a different set of, um, of glasses that you have to like bring into that thing compared to like what Ben does, which is reporting, which is different, you know? Mm -hmm. No, yeah, definitely. I, yeah. Go ahead, I was just going to say sometimes, you know, what I, what I hope that I've, I've built maybe over the past five years is some level of trust in the players and them knowing that we're on the same team here. I am here to help you showcase your personality. I want to make that easier for you. I want to open that pathway for you. And I think, you know, one of the social media channels that I think, or, or the organizations that does an incredible job with their social media in terms of getting the players involved is the European Tour Golf. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any of their stuff, but the players completely buy in. And there's a, that feeling that we are on, we are marketing you. We are trying to make you look best. We are trying to give you a chance to show people the side outside of actually hitting the ball. Uh, so, again, I think over time that becomes easier and those relationships, having seen people on court, 
I think it has gotten easier. And I think they yeah. do understand that most of them. I'm trying to remember that European golf, were they the ones who had the video with the kid interviewing Roy, Rory McIlroy? Yes. And, and he gave the Rory McIlroy before his wedding a pair of socks in case he got cold feet again. That was good content. I remember that. Yeah. So you should, if people haven't noticed this point of the show, you are a woman uh, who is not, I got to say, who's not someone, who's not a type of person, to use a broad term, who has who has been in this role that often in sports. Now, I'm, I, I, this is a very stupid way to introduce a, a real topic, but I will lean into that. I, I remember being at the Charleston tournament specifically. I think it was 2012 or 2013. I was at Charleston and I was in the stadium and it was a women's only event, just female, you know, WTA only event. And I remember seeing a couple on-court MCs were using two different men on court. And there was a third male voice I was hearing from some sort of PA addresser in the box. And I was thinking, it struck me at this very, you know, female-driven, female-centric tournament, WTA-only event, that there was, was still all these male voices that were sort of presenting, presenting the event. And I remember thinking of them, like, this feels like something could change. But for whatever reason, the default had always been in this situation in sports, men's or women's, to have male voices. Um, did you, before, I guess, before you started working in tennis or even as you started working in tennis, have you run up against that preconception in yourself or in others that this is sort of a, a man's job and you had a... a barrier to break through here or did it or was it relatively straightforward I to be honest and I it was funny because I just had to sort of think about this I did uh Katie Spellman's new uh little series about women in sports I'm excited for Courtney's answers uh to come on that by the way uh but to be honest I guys I never thought about it I really mm. didn't think about it I there was one time actually recently that that I maybe had a moment of of just just understanding that maybe things had shifted a bit and that was uh i did fed cup i did fed cup for the first time last year and i did fed cup this year before in everett washington which was weirdly the oh, second yeah. first confirmed case of coronavirus in the u.s and nobody could have imagined then i remember they had you know hand sanitizer everywhere with notes about washing your hands and we were like i mean sure i'll i'll use a little extra sanitizer like that's cute yeah sure, okay a nice precaution uh no but so i will say in stadium in in terms of the voice of god that is maybe where i think there's even less in terms of of female representation and somebody talking on the loudspeaker as serena williams is walking out on the court to a packed stadium and people are roaring that is where i think i i had a moment of like yeah this is definitely like i i hope i can live up to this because there is such an expectation of that like loud powerful male booming voice um a kind and, of movie trailer I, kind of voice yeah right exactly so i i think I'm, i definitely bring something different to the table and i appreciate that the usta gave me a shot at that and even that i mean that's um the the voice of god being a woman's voice is is something that has kind of permeated in other sports a little bit but still all what relatively recently right like I know the San Francisco Giants, the PA announcer is a black woman and it's awesome. Like you notice it, like, you know what I mean? Like, not that it, it, it's nothing different, it's, but you just notice it that it doesn't sound, you know, the way that it, it always sounds. I think Wimbledon even started changing it a little bit. I their voice like of they, like their person being like, the grounds are closing is now a woman. It's been for- It's now a woman, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like so, eight years, yeah. And that felt f pretty significant. Yeah, it does feel like kind of that last, that last barrier that needs to be kind of uh, smacked down. So to get back to what you were saying before about the sort of the craft of 
honing on-court interviews and getting the best out of players in those moments. What have you found? Are there are there tips or tricks that, that work for you in terms of, because you're dealing with a bunch of different players. You're not totally sure who you're going to get before the match starts. You have 50-50 or sometimes 90-10, depending on the matchup, about who you're going to get in the, in the on-court interview. How do you prepare to get the best out of them? And what do you do to make them feel comfortable and relaxed and also ready to sort of, and, how, and, and, and then if you want to highlight some of the better ones at it, who are the people who like are reliably, like, you know, they're going to be on when, when you're, when you need them to be. So I think in terms of the, the tips and tricks for me, I've learned that a lot of it happens before the camera goes on, uh, you know, greeting the player saying, congratulations, it's great to see you. It's been a while. Um, it just any sort of like pre-interview conversation, which I, I've grown in that because I will not lie. When I first started doing this, it was like so nerve wracking that I was like, just remember what your first question is. I, I did not have the, the bandwidth to be able to, to check in on the players, you know, kids at home before we started. Uh, so, so I think a lot of that helps. It also helps in terms of if you're going to maybe ask a question that is a little bit out of left field to run that by them beforehand. Um, in fact, I really, and I don't know, I'm, I'm, I feel like this is I'm maybe giving this away. I don't know if it's, if it's actually going to happen, but I, I multiple times had the thought this past week of having my, the last question be sort of like joking with the player. Like, I mean, we're known for our crowds in New York. Gosh, how, how did the energy help you out today? I mean, you know, crickets in the stands. I thought that would have been like a fun, cute thing to do. That would have required me. I, I didn't feel like I had like the perfect open door to do it, but that's something that I would say to the player beforehand. Like, hey, last question, I'm going to joke about the crowds. Are you okay to play along? So yes, it's kind of the pre-interview part that has become key in, in seeing if you can maybe pu push the boundaries a little bit in the actual interview. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way as Blair. I mean, I think that so much of, of of kind of getting the player to the point where you can kind of tell them, and I've said this explicitly to some players before hopping on a podcast or whatever, of like, just tr just follow me, trust me. Like, I will, I won't do you wrong. Just just go with me where I'm going, you know. And over time with certain players, like that, there is still that. But I think that the key thing for Blair uh, uh, a lot is is like they they have to when you know, they just played this crazy match. It's super hot. All they want to do is get off the court. And when they see you or they see Krasny or they see Nick or they see whoever is the MC, Andy, like that they don't go, ugh. Like the minute that that's like, that Wait. becomes, uh, sorry? Some of them still do to be clear, but. A hundred percent. Same with me. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, like, um, you know, when they know that they, they, oh, I have to do a champion's corner. There are still players that are like that. And I'm like, dude, I know, but just. Trust me, it'll be a good time. Like, you know, and it's always a good time, but it's not in the moment. They're just like, seriously, I just want to go right now. And you are the last person. I don't want to do this song and dance. And again, I think that that as, you know, Blair is kind of doing like way more events these days and she's in different spaces, not just the encore, but also doing the interviews, um, like tournament content style. It's like the players know who you are now. Like, it's not, if you pop up, they know exactly. Right. You know, and they're like, it's cool. Uh, most of them, I think, do. And I, you know, that makes me makes me feel good about the relationships that you've sort of built. I just think the relationships are, are huge. And I feel very fortunate that enough people have sort of given me the opportunity to where we could we could be in that place. So it's, it's come a long way. <laughs> uh, you've also done a lot of stuff sort of 
behind the camera in terms of being off screen, but or sometimes I'm seen too in terms of social media content for tournaments. And the one I want to ask, you've done a bunch of great stuff. The one I want to ask about is Mario Kart, um, which was a Delray, the Delray, what was the name of, what was the name of the video? It was called DBO Kart. Uh, we called it DBO Kart. Yeah. DBO Kart. We're featuring uh, some fantastic mustaches and yes. uh, Yoshihito Nishioka. And I mean, how much how much are you involved in the the ideation of these of these uh, concepts, the, um, the executing them, and how much sort of creativity do you get to show on that side, and and what is that sort of different role like? I love it. Um, you just have to be really resilient because you get a lot of no's. Like if if only you guys. <laughs> would know my list of reject uh, proposals. It is very long, uh, but I, when I get a no, I try to come back with a few other options, but DBO cart in particular, I, our, our video producer, our video shooter that week, Jacob Stuckey, who does a lot of work in tennis, he just threw out the idea of, you know, Yoshi, Mario Kart and Yoshi. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> And he's like, shoot, we have golf carts. (laughs) (laughs) So I am not kidding. We we were actually, I was texting him last night and we were joking about that because we like, it almost ended friendships making that video happen because it was, I mean, from talking to the police to make sure we could be in the street to borrowing their cones and making sure we didn't lose them to you know, I, I, I think, uh, I think Sam Duval would be okay with me telling the story. He's uh, Yoshi's agent, um, who I've gotten to know, and he's fantastic. Uh, I had emailed him in advance because, listen, if Yoshi wasn't in for that video, what's the point? Yeah. Right. And so I said, hey, I don't even want to throw this out as an idea unless I think it's a possibility. Here's the concept here's the Yoshi head. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you had it already. Like he's, he's going to have to wear this. (laughs) I mean, I had already been, you know, browsing Amazon for, for options. So Sam was like, honestly, I think this will be, I think this will be good. Well, Yoshi's on site the first day and I, you know, want to make sure everything's good. We're, we're ready to go. He's still in. And, uh, Sharko, Greg Sharko, who has worked for the ATP for ages, also a legend. Um, he went and sort of broached the topic with Yoshi to sort of find a time. Yoshi has no idea what he's talking about. So fast forward to Greg coming back and saying to me, like, he he doesn't know about this. So then I literally am carrying the Yoshi, <laughs> Yoshi head, or as Andy Murray would say, the soft toy. Soft, soft toy. toy. <laughs> soft joy of that carrying it through the players lounge because in Del Rey it's like players lounge players gym it's like all one big room and marching out Yoshi is on the exercise bike and I am trying to explain this concept to Yoshi with the Yoshi head in hand uh and to his credit he was like oh I love Yoshi you know absolutely so Yoshi was in uh and Jordan Thompson and Stevie Johnson are are absolutely the best sports I will say that Jordan Thompson was not pleased that Stevie had not shaved you know he he looked almost like he had a beard in that video because he he, Stevie has since said I was just being lazy I hadn't shaved the rest of it because he still is rocking the mustache hard uh, but but Jordan was not pleased. He was like, the, I mean, he needs to. Can I get him a razor? He needs to. <laughs> I love that they were the the actors were giving you notes. Giving each other notes. Even, yeah. I mean, we had called Party Cities to try to find the star. We needed the the star. 
So we're like, you know, calling various, you know, party outlets, party cities to try to find something that would work. Um, we had to borrow the golf cart from the city of Del Rey, which is like locked in some, it, it just, the, all the things that had to fall into place. And, and honestly, the number one thing was really like a huge credit to Greg Sharko who let that happen because I think in the interest, I completely understand and respect the, the role of the tour PR teams, but I think in an effort to maybe protect or to just keep things simple, there is sometimes less of an incentive to let yeah. something like this go forward. Um, and again, I understand exactly where they're coming from, but the fact that he trusted me to do this and have it be a fun thing and not making fun of, cause that's always the line, right? Is you want it to be fun. You don't want it yeah. to be making fun of. And the players were sort of all in on the joke and enjoyed it. And I mean, guys like dropping bananas and like reshooting the banana drop. <laughs> I, and th there was a lot of work and, and by the end, I mean, there was a graphics guy who was staying late to make the Mario graphics. It just, it was a ton of work because most of these teams are so small. Like we, it is, yeah. we have so few resources at our disposal. So it's, what can you, what is the biggest thing you can make happen with very little uh, to work with. And that's, that's always, there are just a lot of factors. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the story of the behind the scenes tennis content, yes. uh, you know, uh, army that exists in the sport with the people that we all know, you know, on social content development, video, all of that is just, and, you know, I will see those comments sometimes or hear the comments from whoever of like, oh, but like, you know, social content, tournament content, so rote, it's so boring what's even the point, you know, and things like that. And so, um, you know, you always kind of want to stick up for the people who are in those positions being like, because you've overburdened them with 20 different sponsor asks right. that they don't get to be creative. Like, yeah. so 10% of their time, they could either go and just grab a drink at the beer hunter, or they can spend that 10% of the time trying to come up with something interesting and given the reward <laughs> for, and, and, and the, as you say, like the risk of being able to come up with it, even anything and execute it, you know, more often than not, people are just going to, you know, understandably just dial it back and be like, I do what I'm asked and that's it. So that's why, yeah, like you become a cult, you and Nick and, you know, you guys have become cult figures in this space because, you know, Wimbledon as a, as a whole, you know, because it's like, oh, well, this will be worth clicking on because it's not going to be, the typical stuff but yes it takes a lot of effort and i think that was one of the things i think when i saw that video and i think i tweeted it and i was like you have no idea how much like work this took like it just for me i was just i wasn't even thinking about the production side i was thinking of like to get agents to agree with this like stunning work like and anytime get, i see get, any anything that players has, like, so on board too yeah to use yeah, their free I, time when they could be lounging playing on their phone like you have no idea the, the inertia of a tennis player convincing tennis players to do anything outside of their mandatory media obligations is brutal. It's brutal yeah. work. It, it is. Um, it, it just, I, I just go back to, you just have to be able to rebound. You have to rebound quickly. I mean, even, even this week, things that were supposed to happen yeah. that, that didn't happen. And it just, you just have to be like, take a deep breath. It's, it's only wasted time. <laughs> You just, you end up, it just, there are a lot of times where you're like, oh, what am I doing? Uh, but 
when you get that that good bit of of content that maybe people see outside of the our little tennis space um or that where where other people can appreciate how great a lot of these players really are personally it's it's a nice reward definitely so i want to talk about this week before we go about your time uh in new york in the bubble and and we talked about all the things you do to engage the crowd and everything like that you have very what how different does your job description feel right now that there's sort of no fans you're having to entertain you're basically just sort of on a tv set i think it's fair to say i don't know if it feels that way but how different is your job this weekend what have been and just what has it been like on site and off i'm just curious for really the whole experience is two people who aren't there and normally are at every grand slam i'm very curious what what the what it's been like for you as a as a life this this week and two weeks ahead i guess you have in new york yeah. uh well first let me say you guys are missed it's not the same no. uh <laughs> there's you know, i hope somebody's eating those patty melts that are being uneaten at the moment because lord knows i was crushing those things daily uh, amazing uh no it's it's definitely it's been interesting it's been from from the creative standpoint it's definitely been an added challenge because ben and i were saying offline it, it, it's you have these players who haven't really been interviewed in six months who would be willing to be creative but they're obviously that is limited in the constructs of this this bubble that we are working in um and there are things that maybe even could happen but completely understandably everybody in particular at the beginning i feel like the tension before media day sort of got going there because people want to make sure that this works and that we can actually safely play tennis and so there was definitely an, an unspoken you know people were completely professional like doing what they had to do but i feel like there was an unspoken level of like you know take a deep breath because nobody knows really how this is going to work and i i will I do echo what the players have said in terms of, I feel like the USTA has done the best that they could uh, yeah. given, given the scenario. Um, but yeah, just figuring out how to even stage an interview uh, and making sure you sanitize the seat afterward and the player, make sure you keep your mask on because we have to do the slate before we start. Just things that you just never thought of before you are now thinking of. And for the first few days, it was really hard because I mean, you know, we, if you get a good shot and maybe there's a coach who has the mask below his nose in the background in the far left corner, can't, you know, it, it just is hard. It, there are a lot of people who have to follow the rules. And this is a population who, I mean, is not used to having a whole lot of rules yeah. imposed on them. So, so it just, you have to count on a lot of people to do their parts. Um, so, I think we did the best that we could given the circumstances. I will say in particular, someone like me, I mean, I have gigantic teeth. I smile a lot like that, the, like the nonverbal cues in an interview are really important. Yeah. Not having those or, or not. I mean, I, I, yesterday I finished with Novak Djokovic and I did like a little <laughs> like hand bow and I'm like, what did I just do? But it's <laughs> you can't, you can't. Because you have to, yeah. Yes, because there's I would no be, I, would, I end up doing a lot of jazz hands. Yeah, that's, hey. that's hands, <laughs> hands are good. Um, yeah, it's, it's just like the weird, there are so many things like you can sort of encourage people with your face that you really can't do anymore. Um, and if you're going to make, if you're going to sort of joke about something or say something sort of in jest where you want them to play along, again, they can't, they can't read you. So it's, it has been a challenge in that sense. Um, 
But I think once you sort of get through your initial test, I had some serious anxiety before I got that negative. Um, but once you get through that and sort of get in the rhythm, it you kind of can breathe again and it becomes, you know, I guess if you could say more normal. Um, but you get onto difficult. the treadmill. Yeah. Like, you know, I found that the last couple of weeks is that as much as I didn't understand or think or, or know what it was going to be like covering once you started to do it you just had so much to do all day yes the day was over and you were like well i guess i worked today you know and i'm going to go to sleep and i'll get up and i'll work again tomorrow and you kind of do it doesn't feel normal but your rhythm the way that you react to your work triggers i guess just kind of is automatic yep yeah so true yeah. so so that that you definitely sort of get back in the rhythm of that and and of waiting for players who aren't where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. <laughs> Waiting for players is, is oh. the, the memoir title for all of us. All of us. Insert, insert your particular pet player in there, but that's the, that's the name of it. Your yeah. pet slow player, whether it's your Serena, your Rafa, your whoever. Like, there are some slow players out there coming to press. Uh, I'm curious, Blair, just if you can describe like more the setup of the interviews. Like Normally, you're standing right there holding a mic up to the player, and you're pretty much face-to-face. -face. What is that like now? There's long poles being used? Pretty much. So you either are using the boom mic, the long pole with the little fuzzy thing, um, or what we did on court was we had a like a almost like a shotgun mic, uh, but it was so it was low to the ground. It can pick up distance. Yes, exactly like what Courtney has there. Um, so you, it wasn't in the actual shot uh, of the post match interview, but it was like right down low in front of them, and then I was six at least six feet to be honest some of the pictures that i've seen i'm like wow i'm, I'm really giving it <laughs> good good that's good. better safe than sorry uh setting an example the other challenge has been you know the the camera people are used to being like right i mean you can feel them breathing on you usually um now they need to be further back so they have to try to get their shot over your shoulder but also like 12 feet away. Uh, so it, it's, I think everybody has adjusted pretty well. Um, it's just audio is hard with masks. I think that's been the one thing that we've all learned. Uh, if you know, if you're used to speaking on a mic, you can get over it. Players are generally not. And so it's just encouraging them to speak clearly, as clearly as possible. And then I'm curious also just what it feels like on the ground. It's like you've been at the US Open plenty of times when it's packed with five digit numbers of people, you know, there's a conservative estimate, just like lots and lots of people, lots of energy, lots of noise. Now you're at this tournament that's like kind of, I'm imagining sort of like a ghost town in a lot of ways. Is it serene? Is it tranquil? Is it eerie? I mean, how does it, how does it feel in terms of just in the vibe of being all of the above? I mean, what does, what does it feel like being in this very unique time in a relatively familiar place, so you know, in a very different way? I think to me, it airs, it, it, goes more to the serene, tranquil side of things yeah. for me. Um, I, I don't, some people, some other people might feel otherwise, but it was funny because during media day, you had all these players coming through, a lot of them sort of getting asked very similar questions. And so many of them started off by saying, oh my gosh, it's like, it's just amazing. Like we can get, you know, you can order food and get it wherever you want. You can go play miniature golf. There's a gym outside. And then you can sort of see the wheels turning. They're like, oh, but you know, we really miss the fans and the energy. Like, let, let me pull, let me pull that in, rein that in just a little bit because I listen, do, do they miss the fans? Absolutely. I think the energy on the court, I think it is. I mean, when you play a great point, 
that that is uh, that must be great i don't i don't really know personally what that's like but that must be <laughs> great to sort of have that that feedback and that reaction so yes i think that is absolutely missed i think the players are really enjoying the the luxury of being able to move around freely and, and even for me honestly like if i have to run from uh you know ash to armstrong to not have to be doing you know going through like an action sequence to get there through through people is is nice there's there, there's less energy expended there for sure uh but yeah i mean i you everybody says the us open is the energy and the energy is is just not the same right Elio Pelka did say actually though that he hopes there are things in particular one of them I think was being able to eat like you could order your food and they would bring it to you wherever you are. Uh, he that was one of the things I think he said he hopes that some of the things they've done this year will be implemented in years to come. The one complaint I've heard from players is that they cannot you can't leave your bags in the locker room. So you have to carry all of your Oh stuff wow. wherever you it's Like an airport. Yes. It, mm. Yes. Exactly. Um, so, so that is in terms of, you know, I don't, and that was a, that was sort of a, it's not like this person was complaining. They were just saying, yeah, it's not something I'm used to to have to lug this thing everywhere I go. But that, but that's been the only downside that I've heard. Like a middle yeah. schooler with a huge backpack. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, they have like the backpack, then they have the second Duffel. bag. Yeah. yeah. Some of the backpack. Yeah. It's, it's, they have a lot. They're going to have to start actually bringing in airport carts. Five bucks, baby. Charge them. Make that money. So true. Always coming up with a hustle. Good work, Courtney. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious also what the evenings are like. So once you clock out and you're normally in your, you're in New York, I'm guessing you usually have stayed in Manhattan during the tournament or no? So, or, or what? Yeah. What are your evenings I've like been, now? I've been in Queens. Um, uh, we have been, uh, yeah, close by, which has its benefits, um, especially when you have a late night to not have to get on a shuttle and, you know, drive over half an hour usually to get back to the city. Um, so yeah, actually that's why I'm wearing a mic for you guys today because our hotel like might as well be in the median of the Long Island Expressway. Uh, <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> I mean, so so that we don't hear street noise this entire time, I, I wore a mic for you guys. So, so we are in Queens uh, once again. I have a car and while I'm here and drive there, drive back. And for me, honestly, this doing in Cincy, I was doing sort of double duty. I was doing the digital content and I was doing the court hosting and trying to prepare for some of the projects this coming week. So I, there wasn't much that I would have done, even if I could. Uh, so just, you know, it, it's, it suits the homebodies. I, I'm always sort of a, like, is it worth the energy? Yes. Maybe I should go do something in the city, but I'm just tired. Oh, yeah. I'm Fair. No, we, people are like, "Hey, let's go into Paris. Let's go into London one night during a slam." I'm like, no, no, I will be sleeping. Yeah. Sleep is yeah. my is my treat for sure. So you're yeah. so just to last sort of thing on the bubble. I think for me at least, you're in a the tier two of the bubble or a tier two person. How does that how does that designation work compared to the players and those sorts of things? So I mean, the the most clear differentiation is I'm not at the player hotel. Right. Um, and and I do believe that there are also locations on site that I cannot go into. I haven't tried to go into. Oh, I will say the one one place I tried to enter yesterday to ask questions. My as much as I love the on court stuff, I feel like in another life I would have been a private investigator. Like I love, 
I love, I mean, one of the, <laughs> yes. your magnifying glass gift, we'll pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> the gif. Um, no, I, I love sort of asking questions and, and finding out if there might be a story. I, I loved sort of like the first part of my journalism tennis evolution. Um, yeah, that's a whole nother story. I wrote a lot about doping at the beginning. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I love all I of that stuff. So love it. I went in to ask a question to the stringers because they have a really cool setup. They have these like almost floor to ceiling dividers um, and, and they have two separate spaces. But I tried to go in just to ask kind of what their process was uh, and to learn more about that. And <laughs> I, I would, you would have thought I was breaking into like a bank. Like you can't, like somebody came up and like grabbed the door handles. You can't come in here. And that is, so the stringers have a bubble within a bubble. Uh, because I, I was I, I was going to tweet about this today. They so I, I guess if you think about it, they're some of the more essential workers here. Because if one stringer goes out and they're in the same room all day with each other, that could be a problem. Uh, players' okay. rackets can't get strung. Um, so, but again, in terms of in terms of the difference for tier two versus tier one, that is I think the main one is just that you're not at that main player hotel. That's hilarious. I didn't think about the stringer thing. I mean, it's, yeah, that's true. It's just amazing how many different things you have to think about, like in terms of how you have to reimagine, like who is an essential, yeah, like you got to protect the stringers at all costs. They are like right. the, 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 yeah, the maintenance. You're going to get tapped, yeah. Blair. When the entire stringing operation is going to go down. Blair's going to be like, hold up, get me the Luxalon. I got this. Yeah. I, I, when I was 13, <laughs> you guys, I was all over this. What tension do you need? Eh, I'll change that for you. You're good. <laughs> you, that's not the tension you need, actually. Not only I've seen you play. Player, I've seen you play. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. No, no. I let's let's hope that I don't end up stringing any rackets. There. That that would that would mean things have become dire. <laughs> well, it seems yeah, like, that's a little Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like things are going going pretty well. I mean, what what do you think? Like last sort of thing for me, and then Corey, if you have anything else, jump in. Because I know Blair's got to go relatively soon. But what it's been like player morale been like? What what do you sense from these from these players? Is it are they? Has it changed over time too? Are they nervous? Are they excited? Nervous? Excited? Chill? Not chill? What what is the what is the player attitude been like compared to a normal, quote unquote, normal tournament? I do think the excitement of the initial wow, we can walk all over the place. I do think that has waned uh, in some ways. Realizing you know that they're they really can't go anywhere. It is, and again it. For, for someone like us, where we're used to like killing ourselves all day and then going to sleep, that's not that big of a leap. But for the players who, who generally have as much freedom as they want, that that I the realization I think is sinking in for the people who have been here since the very start of Cincinnati. It's weird in some ways. I think not having fans seems to kind of like the adrenaline and the butterflies that you have, even as a media member, as it's getting ready to start. I don't feel like I have those quite as much. And I, I think that that may be a result of not seeing, you know, after qualifying would have been over the influx of fans coming in on, on day one, which would be tomorrow. You, you know, obviously that's not going to be the case. So it doesn't set what sets the tone generally is not there. And so I, I don't know if that affects how the players feel on the inside, but I feel in terms of, of the outside, those, those outside factors are not there to sort of be the impetus for the butterflies or the adrenaline or any of those things. Yeah. F fans make you make the thing feel relevant, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like ESPN broadcasting, we understand is actually what is relevant in terms of the broadcast money and stuff, but we don't see the, 
900,000 people who are tuning into a match. Like that's a completely existential theoretical thing. But when you see the fans, you see the kids, you see the packed, uh, the, is it still the Heineken bar? I don't know. The Heineken bar that's on top of the, the, the U.S. Open store. Uh, but you feel it constantly, right? And, and the hum and everything. And every single one of those fans that walks through the turnstiles makes you feel like your job is relevant for the day. Right. Across the board, all of us who, who's front facing yeah. or, you know, in the business of this sport or in the business of, of putting the sport on. So, yeah, that 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 would be that would be weird. I almost wonder if like covering things remotely actually inoculates like Ben and I from it because we don't see the loss. We don't feel the loss. Us, We're just watching matches like we would on any other remote type week where we're not really except that now we actually are covering it like this isn't a vacation week <laughs> it is, it is but, still uh, some yeah. at least for me it's still some work to try to negotiate i think it'll be different during the u.s open too and i think also maybe they're adding crowd noise i heard during u.s some of us yeah open i matches. heard that so that's gonna be a little different but like i do think like i've watched plenty of challengers and stuff where like low stakes well not real estate different low tier tournaments where like the stakes are not about the crowd or it's about like the opportunity to get ranking points and move up and make it to the big show but it's a, there's a different kind of distance for me when it's like Andy Murray on a big court and hits a great winner and you hear nothing. It's like the stakes don't match the environment in this way that's new and different for me. And that's where the dissonance comes in. So and I'm curious if the US be... Open will change that when it starts next week. It'll still be a grand slam for the first time. I don't know. I think it'll be weird too, Ash. Like we've seen court 17, we've seen grandstand, and we saw a little bit Armstrong. Uh, but from a player perspective, not from a visuals, but just from a player perspective to walk out on that stadium Yes. And that court and play a match yeah. with no crowds, it's wild. Yeah, it's funny though. One of the things that Johanna Kanta said during media day, which I actually agree with, when Ash is empty, it doesn't feel as big, which is the weirdest. I, I can't explain yeah. it, uh, but I obviously I've been out there. I've watched some practices this week. It It's a very weird sensation. And, and having the players in the suites too, where they're just, you know, Wave, wave to the neighbor. You're looking up. You know, waving all, all of that stuff. It, it has almost like shrunk in it in a way. Um, but yes, I mean it's cavernous on any day. Uh, but weird, weirdly, I feel like there when there aren't actually people in the stands, it's hard to like scale it to our like human brains. Um, I guess that's true. It's almost like it makes the court seem smaller, right? Yeah. Because it's this. It actually takes up so little space of that. Correct. Arena. Right. So me, yeah, me, I, I, yeah, I can see the logic there. That's interesting. Uh, but who, but I don't know that, that could have been a, a I don't a know. Joe thing. I, I, it very easily could have. And we know that Joe is always thinking things through very carefully. So very carefully, very carefully, very precise idea what she wants to do. And we've had a very precise idea. We wanted to do having you on the show, Blair. Thank you for being here. Uh, any closing thoughts people should look out for anything you have coming up during the, uh, these 14 days of the US open that you want to, tease or get folks excited for um i'm hoping again there i i kind of am not totally sure how the schedule is going to work out because we have we have three mcs grandstand is not in play for the u.s open which i still haven't heard exactly why that is um so it's there are three mcs andy taylor will still be the voice of ash andrew krasny myself and kondo simfukwe who is usually in cincinnati and indian wells who is the absolute best we're going to kind of be rotating between 17 and Armstrong, and my hope is to maybe work with USTA broadcast, and I'm hoping we have a we have a fun idea for for USTA social to maybe do some stuff for them when I'm not on court. So, but again, it's nothing. If 
things are never a sure thing in the content world. That is even true. It's more so in this scenario where a million things could happen between now and then. I mean, last week in Cincy, guys, that was a that was a roller coaster um, of emotions and feelings, and it, it was um, again like I try to remind myself like this is a really historic thing in a lot of different ways. Cincy was historic for for a lot of bigger and better and, and greater ways than, than this. So I try to earn my on the on the days where I'm like, ah, this is this is a lot. Um it's just you remind yourself that, you know, this is history in one way or another. In the very simple way of tennis, perhaps in bigger ways. Um we'll see how the US Open plays out. But um just trying to appreciate it and I'm extremely thankful very thankful to be working again as i know you guys are that it, it's been a long road for the people who work in a lot of different areas but yeah. you know obviously sports was was very directly impacted and thankful to see you guys very thankful to be working again and it's the best i love it tennis is the best <laughs> well as that guy as that guy in this upstance would say who is the best blair is the best blair is the best who is if, the best if we could get one fan on the ground blair is it's the best. him it's him. Yeah. It's Absolutely. the best guy. Well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the Yonix guy is now officially my my number one, my number one, my power ranking number guy? one fan. I don't know if I know the Yonix guy. Yeah, yes. Sasha Vickery's BFF, who's been dancing on the changeovers throughout every match in Cincinnati. He is amazing. Yes. Love him. He's gotten a lot of screen time. Um, yeah. But wait, before we leave, um, Ben, I I can't leave without asking you to give me the ptpa <laughs> you have to do it for me live sure so you've clearly heard courtney's reaction courtney's bracing herself for this now courtney I, we were not doing video chat uh when we did the recording of this but yeah so the there's a new organization uh boys only for now allegedly uh the professional tennis players association ptpa or as it's pronounced <laughs> there you go Mm, bow, okay. bow. Oh, incredible! That was the outro song on the. <laughs> the oh yeah! Thanks. I I died when I heard it, and also I don't I know we're we're wrapping up, but on on that note, and I posted this on Instagram, but yesterday in the middle of press, Novak Djokovic was doing his post title press. Yes, you told yeah tell this story. This is a good interesting story. I saw yeah, it on Instagram. Yeah. Yes, he left. Uh, so we were waiting, you know, as we do we do a lot of waiting um we i was waiting along with uh u.s open broadcast who had their allotted time with him before the u.s open and we we thought he was coming at a certain time then we were told oh it's probably gonna be like 45 minutes after and uh i'm told that you know he left he had to go to a meeting and i was like oh like like a meeting and and i was told yes like a meeting <laughs> And I, of course, you know, had I known, I would have tried to have like peer into to grandstand to see what was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Break out my, <laughs> my magnifying glass. I mean, cause I, I just, I love, I love all, I, I just think it's the whole thing is so fascinating to me on so many levels, but left his post title press to go do that, to pose for the picture and walked back in, walked up. Sorry to keep you all waiting sat down and did his i mean and, and the guy can hit the interview notes when he yeah he's he a performer yes and he i mean gave a great interview to the us open usta and then came and did western and southern open social and was 
Mr. Personality um, finished with, I, I was I was like, Novak, would you mind one more thing? Um, could you just give a message to the Cincy fans? I mean, and he, he can do it. He's real good at it. Um, and was just couldn't have been more delightful and then walked back in. I mean, this is like within 24 hours, I heard reports that, you know, he was throwing up in the bathroom uh, and it was barely beat RBA comes back, looks like he's going to get crushed by Milos, ends up winning the match. I, I mean, it was it, it was just like a roller coaster of of Novak Djokovic. But I wish, and this is the frustrating thing sometimes about social media, is that you can't, the journalist side of me would love to maybe dig a little bit deeper. But if you don't catch people's attention on social media from like the first sentence, like you're yeah. toast. So, uh, you know, I, I wish I could have gone a little bit deeper with him. But the fact that he can do what he does on the tennis court as well as he does and have, and this is not unique to today. This stuff has been simmering and bubbling and for, for the two years, almost two years of his presidency. Yeah. yeah. The fact that he's been able to do that and still play in just the best tennis that there is, is mind boggling. We wrote about this at Wimbledon last year when he was in the sort of aftermath of the Gimmelstab fallout and was and there was a bunch of mass recognition from the council and we were like Novak is like really investing a lot of energy in this like during his chase for the title like won't this affect him isn't this a you know a, a poor use of energy and he like wins like what people consider like one of the more epic Wimbledon finals ever and it's like yeah, I'm fine I'll save match points against Federer and win 13 12 in the fifth like no problem I'm I'm fine like his ability to like do yes to like I'm doing an interview brief intermission for some political insurgency coming back <laughs> finishing the interview, like the multitasking of this guy, to the, the compartmentalization of this guy yeah, is That wild. was the phrase that, that Blair used in terms of his ability to compartmentalize. And I think a lot about it, like just in tennis and just with him, like kind of how I often think like, like not we, but the tennis world created Novak. Like Novak is what he is because he has constantly had to be dealing with distractions, good or bad, um, while constantly in this like, like primal chase for yeah. greatness and all that and so you evolve and this dude like it's like his his uh x-men power like he evolved faster than any like i've ever seen anybody in terms of being like oh okay yeah no i'll just become this like to survive and he has it's crazy it it's amazing to witness uh, i i i've just i've never seen it I, it's just i don't i it really is like i mind blown emoji like that's how i feel when i when i think about it because it, it just kind of defies logic um but you know it's it's fun tennis to watch i'll say that for sure well enjoy watching the tennis this week at the us open blair enjoy it on all of our behalfs in person say hi to the 256 players for us and the doubles folks too and uh, and we will uh, hopefully have you on the show again real soon. You've been tremendous. Thank you very much, Blair. You keep your shirts on in press conferences. Guys. Oh my God, have you I sent you the too? screen cap? I have seen the screen cap. You didn't send it to me. I have seen it, um, and I don't know if it made my day or ruined my day. That was everybody's reaction. Was <laughs> is this the greatest thing I've ever seen, or, or is worst. it very much not? <laughs> um, but it's. I will never forget it. That I know. Uh, but no, best of luck in the Zoom world, guys. This has been fun. Thanks, Blair. Thank you, Blair. Stay safe. Yes, stay safe. So massive thanks to Blair for joining us on another US Open podcast from us here at No Challenges Remaining. Blair is great. You should follow her on Twitter at Blair Henley on Instagram. She's on Instagram, too. She's that kind of 
double, triple, quadruple threat in this world. So check her out there. And thanks to her again for being on the show. And we hope that she has a great time and stays safe in the bubble. We want to thank all of you for joining us for these first few U.S. Open shows we're cranking out as we plan to do a lot more during this U.S. Open. And thank you for a bunch of support we've had uh, from backers already as new backers as we round the corner into this new frontier of having a Patreon during a Grand Slam and also of covering a Grand Slam remotely and trying to make the most out of both those things. So uh, if you appreciate all the shows we're doing and want to help us on Patreon, we hugely support that. That would be tremendous. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Several new backers to thank just in the last day since we did a show. So thank you to them. They include Anita, Neil Riley, Chantal Carrier, Laura Duos, and Joy Sims. So thank you to those five new backers. And thank you as always to our Patreon Slam Champ level backers who get things on every show. They are Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Joseph Har, and Susanna W., as well as our goat backer, J-O-D. So thank you to all those folks. And again, patreon.com slash no challenges ratings, where you can support us that way. You can also just follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Send us questions, comments, anything, no challenges remaining at gmail.com is the address there. I think that's it for this show. Thanks again to Blair. Hope you have a great time carting along through this U.S. Open. Bye, guys. Bye.